Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You kind of have to find somebody that matches your lifestyle and somebody that you don't mind spending a lot of time with, whether it's virtual on the phone, emailing back and forth, texting back and forth, or even in person. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. First off, I hope you're having a best ever weekend because today is Saturday. We got a special segment for you called Situation Saturday, and here's the situation. You want a partner. You then go get partners, and then you might have a different vision for where you need to go once you get into a partnership. So what do you do? How do you approach it? And what are some things you can put in place prior to that partnership to help make things smooth whenever you do part ways? And with us today, we're going to be talking to someone who has gone through that process, learned a lot of lessons, and is wanting to share with us. And I'm looking forward to that conversation. Ryan Groney, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Hope you're doing well, Joe. I sure am. And I am grateful that you're back on the show. And best ever listeners, you can just search Ryan's first, last name, and my name. And I'm sure that his other episode will come up where he gave his best ever advice. So a little bit about Ryan. He is a full-time mobile home park owner and operator. He has owned three mobile home parks, totaling 175 units. And I say he has owned because now, one, he sold his interest in two of them, which is part of the main part of this conversation. So he's no longer in two of the partnerships, but he still has one. He's based in Charleston, 
South Carolina. With that being said, Ryan, first, you want to give the best ever listeners a refresher on your background, and then we'll go right into it. Yeah, my background is basically right out of college, worked in finance, had a W-2 like most of best ever listeners. Then I made the transition to full-time mobile home park owner, operator, investor about a year and a half ago, right before we did an episode about a year ago. Basically, the past year, I have owned three parks, bought three parks, like Joe said. I've also operated a portfolio with Buckeye Communities in Ohio. We had about 10 parks, about 500 spaces or so, and then I also had my 175 spaces. So I was operating that portfolio the last year. We've since scaled that back. We've sold a handful of those parks. We still have a couple, and I'm still doing that, but I've also changed locations, so my role has kind of changed a little bit. Still looking for more parks to buy and kind of going to get into kind of what transpired the last year with my partnerships with buying parks and stuff like that. Tell us the story. So basically, I had bought one park, my 75 space community in Fayetteville, and then through that, I had met some other potential partners. They were interested in mobile home parks. They had never maybe necessarily owned one, or they had limited knowledge, or they were looking to get into the space. So basically, we bought two parks together. I had kind of relationships with the deal, and I am the operational piece to the partnership side of things. And long story short, we were looking to basically scale a business, grow a business, and put about 500 to 1,000 pads under our management and ownership. And building a business is a lot different than who you partner with than doing one deal together. Because when you just do one deal together, you maybe only talk to each other a few hours a week. Building a business together when you have large amounts of work to do, you're around each other a lot more, communicating a lot more. So establishing those boundaries up front is pretty important. I would advise everybody to get to know somebody, not just in a working relationship, but also on a personal level. Because you want to find out what is their lifestyle, what is their work schedule, what is their communication schedule, what is their life goals, where are they at in their life? And when you're building, scaling a business, do they have that ability or want to do that, right? And that buying one deal together or even a couple deals is a lot different than building a a massive portfolio together. Mm -hmm. And then when you get past all that, we had known each other relatively short time frame. We knew each other really less than a year. And they were the capital pieces. I was the operational piece. I had also found the deal. And really, you want to have an operating agreement going in. That's really just a fail-safe for partnerships. You want to have a clear, defined roles, what's everybody's expectations. And then if something happens, life happens to people, people get sick, people have kids, people pass away, their spouse passes away. If they have a regular job, their work gets super busy, so they can't devote as much time. You kind of have to find somebody that matches your lifestyle and somebody that you don't mind spending a lot of time with, whether it's virtual, on the phone, emailing back and forth, texting back and forth, or even in person. And it is kind of like a marriage, but you're playing with a lot more money. And in marriage, while you're playing with money, people sometimes can get ugly. It gets ugly when things go bad. But, you know, luckily for me, we had a pretty good split. There was no lawsuits involved or anything. We kind of realized that maybe we weren't the correct fit to build a larger business. So that's kind of why I sold my partnership rights. It's just easier for everybody. I may have lost some money in the short term, but in the long run, it's probably better for my mental capacity in order (laughs) to focus on new things versus bringing up the past and always having to deal with it. What was happening that resulted in you saying, okay, I think we need to part ways and with them agreeing that that was the case? When when you're trying to build a business, like forming a partnership to build something larger, you have discussions, right? People's goals come out, people's lifestyles come out. 
and most of my partners, I was full-time and some others were full-time, but they also had other jobs or other commitments. And I did as well. How many total partners? There was five. So there's five. Well, there's the first mistake. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. There's too many people. You should limit it. Most of the good partnerships, kind of like you see Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, just to name a quick example, there's two people, right? That was the first problem. There was a lot of people and everybody had their own lives and their own time commitments. And then once you start putting pencil to paper and starting to look at more deals and buy stuff, you start to figure out maybe who's committed and who's not. And if they are committed, maybe they want something a little bit more that you're not necessarily willing to give up, whether that be equity, time, whatever it be. So first of all, yeah, we had too many people. That was probably the first mistake that you don't learn that until you go through it. And then the second thing was just maybe our communication styles weren't the same. Like maybe one guy needs everything right away and the other person, while they have other stuff going on, they may take a little bit more time to do it. So expectations, communication styles, and also just who is doing what. We have to establish that up front, whether you establish different reports and you go over it, you measure it, and then you discuss it versus trying to micromanage the situation from Mm afar. What's your preferred method of communication? It depends on what we're talking about. I mean, if we have to have a phone conversation, that's perfectly okay. When you have that many people, a lot of times it takes a long time and you have to have drawn out conversations, conference calls to have. Way too many and people. Have, yeah, it's too, <laughs> it's, too, it's too many people to make a decision. So yeah. oh. you have to have the person that can make the decision or two people that can make a decision. So my preferred method, depending on what the decision is, is to get on the phone and talk about it because I think you get tones, you get a lot more truth than behind a screen because when you read a text or read an email, it's hard to kind of decipher what that is because I'm not a very good texter or if I text, it might not be how I talk in conversation, misspell stuff sometimes so that it can kind of get lost in translation. And then you have a million different things versus Mm -hmm. actually having a conversation, the flow of the conversation and tones and, and all that plays into it. I agree. All right partners going into it you found a deal and you were on the operation side what were the other four doing you said money but were they all four money people or what yes and no everybody had their own roles had different experience with different things one guy was maybe better at scaling a business one guy was good at finding deals one guy maybe had the balance sheet on the deal specifically they weren't necessarily all money played a little bit of it but they had key strengths that maybe I didn't necessarily have or I had something they didn't have. So we all kind of played a role. We kind of all kind of knew each other and we were trying to buy a bunch of stuff and it kind of just snowballed into that organically. And then when we were starting to move and look to buy things, things came out that maybe it wasn't the best because people have lives. Like I said, life happens. And this was a transition of four, six months, give or take. So it wasn't just like a weekend type of thing. It was a longer drawn out process and we had thought about it a lot. And like I said, life happens and you start thinking about it. When you pull away from the the calls and the emails, you start thinking about it. Can this actually work? And most of the time when you have that many people, it doesn't necessarily work. It's hard to make it work. But the two deals that you sold your interest in, were they performing well? Yeah, the deals were performing. Yeah, there was nothing wrong with the deal. Why not just ride those two deals out? and then just choose not to partner up on other stuff? Because the reason being, I think it was an easier decision just to, like I said, split and not have to deal with the headache. For me, it was more of a mental type of thing. Like I don't want to keep <laughs> having a conversation and, and then it's just more of like 
still continuing to be friends with an ex-wife, an ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, whatever. There's always a little bit of tension. Maybe you don't talk about it, but it's hard to get past the emotional side of things a lot of times. Maybe you partnered on these deals and the deals were performing, but then when you're trying to build a business and build a larger portfolio, those things stumble into those deals. All right. They were performing financially. They were good assets. And everything about that, we had bottom right, mainly a turnaround, big value add, buy at a discount type of investor. Mm -hmm. And we were starting that process. And it does take a lot of effort to do that. So it was easier just to part ways just so we could all focus on new things and not have to worry about. You're not talking millions of dollars. We're talking enough to where somebody could maybe write a check and just Mm -hmm. be done with it. Okay. And you got into those deals with no money of your own? Correct. Okay. So and you, was, you told um, me that I before said, we started recording. That's why I wanted to just mention it. So you got money when you exited out. So you didn't come out ahead financially, just perhaps not how much you would have if you had stayed in it through its completion. That is exactly correct. My piece, while I may have some money to invest in certain deals, basically I had found the deal. So my equity is based on finding the deal and then also operating the deal. So the day-to-day in charge of the asset and in charge of the on-site manager. What are five questions that you're going to ask your next partner, either directly or indirectly, you'll get the answer to? What are five questions you would ask? One, what is your goal for the next five years? When it comes to investing in real estate, what is your lifestyle? Are you investing because you want passive income and you want to sit on the beach or do you want to build a large business? Two, how do you communicate and how do you manage problems? Four, I'd probably say, what is your time commitment? Do you want to be active or passive? And do you want an active role or what role do you want and can you play? Mm -hmm. And that kind of translates into what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, and how do we line up? And five would be, let's become friends first before we start Mm -hmm. a partnership together. Do we have Mm -hmm. similar interests in your personal life? Do you have kids and maybe I don't have kids or are you a golfer and maybe I'm a golfer? I mean, do we have similar interests that aren't just real estate related? Mm. Okay. I like that. Goals for next five years slash what's your lifestyle that you want to be? Number one. Two is how do you communicate and manage problems? Three, what's your time commitment? Meaning do you want to be passive or active? Four, strengths and weaknesses. And five, basically let's get to know each other on a personal level. So you can ask questions about interest, but really that just can develop over time to see. What about also when the chips are down and there's a, well, I guess you already asked that. You're one step ahead of me. How do you manage problems? I guess what I'm really getting at is the character of the person. How would you go about assessing if they're a good person or not? Because it's one thing, how do you manage problems? Oh, I identify the root of the problem, then I take steps to resolve it, and then I see if it's going to be reoccurring. That doesn't at all get to, am I going to lie to you about the problem? Am I going to steal money from you or the partnership? How would you go about qualifying that when you're in the honeymoon stage? Yeah, so that question you could get a little bit more clear because that can translate into a whole set of other questions, scenarios. Like for me, I'm very transparent about my past, about what I've done, partnerships, why they've gone bad or why they've done well, my strengths, my time commitment. So I would ask people that. I would try to get to know them. Your reputation is what it is and and people talk, whether it's for good or bad. I would probably ask around kind of, hey, have you ever done a deal with this person? What are they like? What is his personal life? If you know, call it. You try to get to the root of the problem and people 
are deceiving at times. I'm not saying deceive somebody for the benefit of doing a partnership together, but it comes back to the personal interest and kind of hanging out with the person. You do get to know their character when you get to hang out with them a lot more. So that comes back to the getting to know a person, both on a professional level and also a personal level. Because most of the time, people can put on a fake facade when they're in their professional life. You can fake it for an hour or two when you're hanging out with the person. But when you hang out with the person repeatedly, when you go tour properties together, when you get on calls, when you hang out with the person, maybe go do something that's not related to investing at all. Start talking about personal interests and you can find how that person is. And then also just watching their demeanor. How do they treat people? How do they talk with people? And the reputation when you start asking around, it definitely comes out a lot of times. A couple other ideas I had just now while we're talking about this is one, looking them up on social media, which is probably an obvious thing, but something that deserves to be mentioned here. Because if they're posting wacky posts on Facebook about some controversial thing that you are completely against, one thing I've noticed is if someone's posting things and then the comments are people cussing a lot to them or just talking in ways that I wouldn't want to be associated with those commenters, then most likely the person who's posting it, who has all these people commenting in whatever capacity that I'm not agreeing with, I'm probably not going to agree with the person posting that stuff too. It's probably not someone who I'd want to be associated with. If they're associating themselves with a bunch of people who are talking in ways that I wouldn't want to be around, then... Even if the person posting is putting on a front that, hey, we're all good, I don't act this way. If their friends are acting that way, that's indicative of how they probably are. And then on a related note, in addition to looking them up on Facebook and Instagram and wherever else, and if they have their account private on Instagram, for example, well, that could be an indication of something as well. But then also asking them, hey, who are a couple of your really good friends? How do you know them? Just getting a sense of who they are currently connected with, how they know them, and then even a step further, having lunch or dinner or drinks or something with those friends and you and maybe a couple of your friends or something like that. It gets a little weird if you say, hey, why don't you bring your best friends? I'll bring my best friends. We'll all hang out. Like <laughs> That's just a weird yeah. thing. So I, I understand that. But it isn't weird if there's a happy hour and everyone's at a happy hour together or you just go hang out with their friends if they're going somewhere. I mean, there could be a less weird scenario where you could hang out with their friends because ultimately you're a product of those who you surround yourself with. And it's exactly it, it'd be good to know that. Yeah. And I'm not talking like become best friends with them. And like go have sleepovers and all that stuff that we did as kids. I just mean you have to get along with the person. And this is mainly when we're talking about active joint venturing with people. I'm not talking about syndicating from a general partnership and limited partnership type of relationship because that could be a little bit more professional. And as you know, you still want to qualify people and you still want to get to know them and stuff. But that's a little bit different as you definitely talk about and have a lot more experience with. I am talking from an active joint venture where everybody has a quote-unquote active role as defined by the SEC. And the active role could be weekly meetings, weekly calls, or just a monthly call, but they are all general partners. Mm -hmm. Ryan, how can the best of listeners learn more about what you're doing? I am on all social medias. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, also on Instagram. You can email me, ryan.com 
G-R-O-E-N-E 55 at gmail.com if you have questions. Also, you can follow me on all the social media platforms. And I appreciate you having me on the show. I appreciate you sharing what you've learned from your firsthand experience. That's the best way for us to learn. Well, the best way for us to learn is that for us to experience ourselves, but we might not want to. <laughs> so sometimes it's good to learn from others who have experienced it. And then that is the purpose of this show is to learn from others who have experienced it. So we can all do bigger and better things. And I appreciate you talking about some questions that you would ask potential partners really quick. What are your goals for the next five years? What type of communication style do you have and how do you manage those problems that come up? What's your time commitment look like that you want to have in this venture? Is it active or passive? Strengths, weaknesses? And then lastly, let's learn about each other personally, similar interests, that sort of thing. And don't phrase that last question that way. <laughs> Ryan, let's learn yeah. about each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so exactly. Everyone gets it. Yeah, no, but yeah. okay, cool. Well, Ryan, hey, thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best of a weekend and talk to you again soon. You too. Are you serious about taking the first step in the gateway to financial freedom? Then join Jake and Gino on a four-week course that will teach you how to become a multifamily real estate investor. Go to jakeandgino.com. That's J-A-K-E. A-N-D-G-I-N-O.com. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com.